Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Style and Substance, where we're talking about something that is, well, I think it's a really hot topic for us, and I think we have conversations around this, you and I, quite often, don't we? And we are talking about hustle culture, income boasting, and the kind of toxic sales tactics that feel like they've been working their way through the marketing landscape for far too long now. Yes, yes. And it is a hot topic, a slightly contentious topic, a definitely a very juicy one. And I do want to get stuck in, but I just want to know how you're doing. We haven't caught up for a while. I know. Do you know, I'm so good. I I rested properly for the first time over half term. And there's something about that time of year that I never want to go away I love the light I love the energy and I've come back to work really inspired really energized quite different actually to how we were when we were talking about transitioning back to work in September (laughs) I feel like finally that feeling's kicked in and yeah, I'm I'm full of ideas. I've launched a brand new concept, which is my open house, which is where Yes. Yeah, I'm so excited. I launched it this morning and it's sold out. So I put another date on and that's on the way to selling out Amazing. as well. Excellent. And I've had more people saying, I can't come in November, but are you gonna do anything in the new year? So I'm just it's so it's so lovely. And and how good does it make you feel when things sell out? Because there's no question the landscape right now is it's far more challenging than I have seen in years actually yeah Yeah, Um, I'd agree this is sort of feeling like 2008 and then some for me yeah 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 yeah. I have not felt like this since 2007 and I just keep saying to myself I've been there before (laughs) I can do it again yes yeah and and what we've learned and this is proof of the pudding, really, for me, is that innovation is so central to that. It so is, isn't it? And if nothing else, what it does is give you that new sense of energy. And when we were talking about quick wins back in February, half of what we were talking about was if you can't change the landscape, how do you at least change how you respond to it and how do you keep your energy high? And, you know, if there is something out there, having that positive energy is going to be a great thing isn't it but even even just changing your experience of what it's like to do this so yeah we're taking our own advice we're innovating and one of the big innovations for me to have come out of the last couple of weeks is this open house which I wanted to be a real no-brainer and I think when we talk about pricing next week Mm. we should come back to that yeah, absolutely. And that really puts this episode into context because we realized that we couldn't really talk about pricing, have a have a sensible, untriggered, if you like, rational <laughs> discussion about pricing without getting some of this shizzle out the way first. Yes, because I think there is a broader context to talking about pricing. And the reason we want to talk about pricing is because so many of you have asked us about it, you know, when we, yes. and thank you so much, everyone who responded to our call for what do you want us to talk about and feedback and all of that. So pricing was right up there as a very hot topic. And the broader picture of that is this, yes, the hustle culture, the income boasting, the toxic sales, toxic sales tactics. And the broader frame of that for me is is this concept of worth. Like, how do we find our worth as an entrepreneur and all of the stuff that gets wrapped up in that? And also, I really feel like this topic today, 
reflects back on the stuff that we've also talked about in burnout, in inspiration and in vitality. So it, it feels like it's sort of a coming together and a setting up of what's coming after. So it feels quite timely and it's definitely going to be juicy. So maybe we just start by defining some terms. Is that useful? What? Yeah. When you say income boasting, what do you mean? Well, I think it's that use of numbers as a tool for credibility Mm. as a tool to get people to buy and so what we specifically mean I guess is saying things like over the last however many years I have sold a million pounds worth of course sales and using that as a a tool for credibility I mean perhaps that in its own right is not so harmful not so toxic but I wonder you know if we're merrily going about our business and somebody gets right up in our grill you know imagine if this happened in real life and you were you know you're at a party or an event and you were having a nice conversation and you were feeling great and someone walks up to you and goes what did you make on your last course launch because I just did seven figures (laughs) my lord (laughs) how does that make you feel yeah. I mean, you get much less triggered by this stuff than I do. And I think we can dig into that as we go through. But it's that sense that actually, I was quite happy with how my last course launch did. But this Instagram adverts just told me that I'm a failure. Mm. And that actually, I need to come and buy this course right now or this piece of coaching right now as so it tends to be used. And this is where we we get into those toxic sales tactics I think is we tend to use things to unsteady people to unsettle them to play on their insecurities to build anxieties and to really I guess get people either to feel naive or unenlightened or we talked in the entrepreneurial episode about squeezing out the potential to make you feel like you've missed those opportunities how stupid were you to have not done that how naive of you to think that what you got on your last course launch was enough because Mm. I've just done this in an hour yeah I'm just curious about what might be or what might have been the initial positive intentions of this approach why do we think this kind of thing has happened and I can see some reasons as to why that might be the case but I'm just interested for you as to why do you think that shift happened since you wrote not, not since you wrote brand brilliance as in that I, was the I catalyst oh my god hilarious question, isn't it because I do think for years in particular women I don't think this is a conversation that male designers are having I don't think it's a it's the same kind of question with male entrepreneurs so mm-hmm. yeah I do think for years women have chronically undervalued themselves and I still think they do they're still I still and we talked about this last week I still have conversations with female particularly freelancers who are saying well I know I'm worth more than that but I'm just happy to have a job that I can fit around the children yeah and I I think there's a real need for us to own our value to have the confidence and the skill set and the toolkit to demonstrate that value and get clients that really see our worth and to be well paid you know there's still a huge gender pay gap Mm. there's a huge pensions gap there's a huge wealth gap yeah and that absolutely needs addressing but I suppose it's a bit like a pendulum yeah. And in some areas, that pendulum has swung so far the other way that actually, I think what started out with really good intentions has actually created a huge amount of toxicity, hmm. partly because I think it puts unrealistic expectations on what we can achieve, not not as women, because we're not capable of achieving that, not as women, because we should be taking the domestic burden, but actually as people if, mm. if what it takes, and we'll get into this more, but you and I have seen behind the scenes too many times 
what it takes to achieve those big numbers. Yeah. And it's not pretty. No. And so whether you're a man or a woman, whatever your domestic load, I think it places unrealistic expectations, but it also, and this is what I really, really dislike about this culture, is it puts us in a place of comparison. But anyway, I'm going off track. What do you think? Where do you think this has come from? Well, I think it has come from positive intentions. I think it's come from a a feminist uprising. I think it's come from uh, women wanting to reclaim a lot of their worth problem I have with it is it, re- it reduces our worth to the money we make, which is still a very patriarchal way of looking at things. Yeah. And so in our struggle to find equity and equality, we have almost fallen into the trap of, of creating that same issue over and over again. Mm. But then we do live in a patriarchal society, much as we would like not to. <laughs> and money is the currency you know, that is the thing that creates opportunities. It's the thing that creates the freedom. It's the thing that gives us the choices. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we can opt out of that and we can say, well, we're just not going to play that game because we don't believe in it. You know, we, we do need to create money. We do need to create profitable businesses, don't and we? I, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think the issue is around money per se. I have no issue with people making loads of money. It's Obviously, and I've said this before, I'd love the entire capitalist structure to fall down and us to find a new way of working. But whilst we're within that structure, let's get it working the right way. Um, It's more that it's become the focus and the correlation for our worth. And it doesn't need to be because whilst we are continually focusing on that as the metric, like you say, we are missing so much more. And that metric is a construct This is as much a a problem for men as it is for women because men's worth has been measured on their capacity to earn financially for generations now. And that is hugely problematic for men. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It sets them up into unrealistic, unachievable for many um, situations. And unless you really know how to work that capitalist model as a man... There's a huge backlash of failure for a lot of men who can't step into that. And I think if we set if we set that same bar for us as women, then we're just not learning from that mistake. Why isn't it a marker of success? You know, anyone just just coming across that without really thinking underneath it might be very easily persuaded or or just just take it for granted that well of course that means that that person's successful why isn't it or why shouldn't it be a marker of success so I don't think anyone's saying it's not a marker of success or I Mm -hmm. don't think we should be saying it's not a marker of success if you just sold a million pounds worth of coaching or or online courses that is quite a feat hurrah Mm -hmm. to you no (laughs) one is saying that's not a good thing Where I think it's a problem is that, number one, I'm not certain that those numbers are always based on reality. Mm -hmm. I've heard quite a lot of anecdotal reports that those aren't necessarily true. I don't know whether that is true or not. But I think the other thing is, one, these things are very often unqualified. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about turnover? Are we talking about profit? Are we talking about gross profit? Are we talking about the lifetime of your course sales? Are we talking about pounds? Are we talking about dollars? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is it's out of context. So what did it take in terms of energy, in terms of resource, in terms of money? What did it look like in terms of what you were spending your time doing and how you felt Hmm. to get to that point. And and I think the real objection I have with this is it has, for lots of people, shifted the landscape. It's made it the thing that we measure success on, isn't it? Rather than it being a useful KPI. But I think what I'm hearing from you is the way that that is pushed out there as the marker of success and the measure of other people's success is where it becomes more toxic. 
Yeah, and I, you know what I think it is? I think it's the fact that it, it causes comparison. Mm. I think that's the issue that I've got. I don't think anybody would say that comparison in business or in life is a good thing. Okay, so that's the definition of income boasting. And we'll get into, just so we sort of understand the terms, and we'll get into the subtleties and and why that's more of a problem. What Mm. about hustle culture? You know, if the income boasting upsets me the most, I think hustle culture is something that really gets you quite activated, (laughs) shall we say. (laughs) Yeah. So how would you define hustle culture so I want to caveat this first by saying I have no issue with hustle in the sort of the feeling that it creates in me when my kids rugby coach goes come on guys hustle up hustle come on we're gonna do this we're gonna get there you know that feeling that hustle creates or that sort of word around that it sort of has a buoyant positive feeling to it some of the time and I have no and I have no issue with that and I have no issue with drive and I have no issue with squeezing out the potential and also no issue with phases in your business where, and I, we talk about this in the context of the seasons, where we, we might get into a springtime in our business where we're riding high on a lot of energy. We've got a lot of ideas. We put a lot of extra time in maybe. We might end up burning the candle at both ends for a short period of time, but we're, we're inspired and we're buoyed and we're moving along with just a lot more energy and momentum and it feels really good and it feels really positive and it feels really inspired and feels really driving. The hustle culture where I think it becomes dangerous is the glamorizing of the not looking after yourself, of the burning the candle at both ends, of the working. I think I read something the other day that was glorifying the 2am finishes and the eating dodgy ready meals out of the freezer because you can't cook and then not having been in the shower for three days because Mm. isn't it great that you're in that phase of your business and and it's all (laughs) hustle 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 and I'm a bit like oh my god and in a tiny little micro slither I could almost not have a problem with that but when you then extrapolate that out into a way of working and a way of being and you glamorize it to the point where people feel like if they're not hustling in those terms, if they're not working all hours, if they're not at the edge of their wits end by the end of the working day, if they're not really hanging on by their fingernails, that they're not doing things properly. And that if you take time to rest or if you take time to go through seasons and cycles in your business, that you're not a serious business person, that you're not actually engaging at the rate at which you need to if you're taking this stuff really seriously. And that, I think, is where it becomes really toxic. This this sort of quite subtle um, suggestion that you're not quite good enough if you're not on the Mm. edge of burnout. All of these things that we're talking about, whether it's income boasting, whether it's some of the toxic tactics that people use to get you to buy their coaching program whether it's this hustle culture I think it's all designed to make you feel not quite good enough Mm. and you know I know you're using words like I have no issue with my sense is to run a commercially successful business there have to be moments in my business where I absolutely ride my inspiration and I work incredibly hard to make things happen yes you know I don't think anyone and particularly not I know not you are saying you know we should just waft through life (laughs) just go with the flow (laughs) that is not going to work commercially like there's going to be commercial issues so I'm not saying that but I think it's this feeling of running yourself ragged working at this in this state where you you feel incredibly inadequate, probably quite activated, triggered, whatever word we're using. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that this is the landscape. The landscape is you should be having six, seven-figure course launches. The landscape is you should be hustling. The landscape is this, is this, is this. And... What we both advocate is a much more sustainable, joyous, long-termist view 
to business. And I suppose the whole thrust of this episode really is to explore how the income boasting, the hustle culture, the the toxic sales tactics affect that and therefore affect the long-term sustainability of our business. I have a, a really strong feeling that all of this stuff is closely linked to burnout and I think is at the root of quite a lot of imposter syndrome as well. Definitely. But just thinking more about this hustle piece, it makes me think of a conversation I had a few weeks ago with a friend of mine who started a tech startup and they are understandably in the very early startup big seed funding stages running themselves ragged. You know, startups are are tricky and there's a lot of pressure. Mm. And I'm as you say, we're not here advocating the don't work hard. Just take it all in your stride and let business waft in towards you. That, that, <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fill me with much excitement or drive or inspiration either. No. But in this conversation, and, and this person is probably 20 years my senior, they used to work for someone else and they're now just starting up, which is brilliant. And they've got a great idea. And I said, look, mate, I'm a little bit, I'm just a little bit worried about you because I know how fervent this startup stage can be. Mm. And I'm wondering what you're doing to take care of yourself in this, because when you shift into the next gear and you start growing your team and you're looking to scale this, you've got to have something left in the tank. And I'm nervous, you know, because I genuinely was nervous. And they looked at me and I don't know whether it was the sort of the seniority gap or the gender gap or the, they sort of looked at me like, there, there, little girl, you just don't understand what it takes to make business work. Yes. And, and that was, that, and that was fine for me because I could sort of smile wryly and go, it's okay. Cause I'll, I'll be here when yeah. you need someone to cook your hot meal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if I, if, if that message was going out to someone more impressionable or someone in their team or someone wanting to emulate this startup culture, that's really concerning for me Mm. because it, it, it could have, it didn't leave me with this feeling, but it could have left me with this feeling of, oh, maybe I'm just kidding myself. You know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be prioritizing actually having something sustainable. Maybe my own personal needs aren't really that important. And maybe it is all about the graft and am I actually working hard enough and that I think if those questions can be reflected upon in a reasonable way are useful questions to ask yourself but when they're sown in that way and it creates this sort of feeling of well you just don't know what you're talking about because you're not doing this it becomes really toxic and and you this is quite often conflated with well burnout's inevitable if you're running your business to its full capacity if you're realizing its full potential you're going to burn out you've just got to accept it and i i don't think that's the message that we should be sending out and i i think that's really sad yeah and i don't want us to have a culture where we accept business on those terms because to me no if you don't have a business that takes into account the cost to its people and is only looking at the commercials, then for me, that's not a business. You know, that's a machine. And, mm. and business takes people generally to make it work really well. So let's, let's dig in a little bit more then to the problems that we see this creating, this income boasting, this hustle. What do you see And why do you see this as being a problem? Well, I guess my experience with this is the impact that it has on me as someone who's the breadwinner and and is, you know, has run her own business for what now 19 years. Mm. And the way that it sometimes can derail me make me feel inadequate make me feel like I'm not doing enough I find not fun (laughs) at all (laughs) so I think there's that side of it you know I am very happy with the last course that Cecilina and I launched the art directing impactful photography course I'm very happy with how many people bought it I'm very happy with the noise we created around that 
thing. I I feel like we couldn't have done any more to market it, to present it, to make it feel more compelling. I think it's an amazing course. And that is one of many things that I have available in the Brand Stylist Academy. So for someone to to kind of get right up in my grill on Instagram and say, um, why didn't you make six figures on that course launch? I find really unhelpful. So I <laughs> you think? <laughs> and well, they want to sell you their how to sell online courses or they want to sell you their coaching, <laughs> basically. Ah, right. Fair enough. <laughs> they want this leads me on to the other side that I see as a mentor to brand designers and a creative director for brands, which is I see designers who have had an, let's call it an awakening, that they were being naive, that everyone else is charging six times what they were, and that they're doing themselves a real disservice. So if they just buy this course, they will be able to treble, quadruple, tenfold what they're charging and all will be well. Mm, gosh, there's so much in there. But what, what this makes me think about is how the landscapers the landscape has shifted. And I'm thinking back to when you wrote Brand Brilliance. And it's quite it seems to be quite a different thing that's happening, particularly totally. in the design industry. So when I wrote Brand Brilliance, uh, one of the things I remember saying was most people undercharge, buy yourself enough time to do a great job. What I now see is people overcharging. And there's a number of issues with that. But one of the biggest ones that that people that just is not being talked about enough is that imposter syndrome is rife. Mm. Because you might have the toolkit to sell the design that's 10 times what you were charging before. You might have the motivation. You might not be prepared to sell design for what you were. But if you haven't moved the quality of your design forwards, if you don't have a robust process in place, Hmm. actually you are not just slightly edged out of your comfort zone, you are flung so far out of your comfort zone that you are incredibly vulnerable. And I've seen this play out time and time and time again. Designers that were previously really good, really reliable, Mm. suddenly charging significant amounts more and being utterly paralyzed to move forwards creatively, to take creative or even strategic decisions, partly because they don't have the robustness of process and the insight that they need, partly because the clients that have that budget are more discerning and more demanding and they expect more and that sets them on edge, but partly Mm. because they just are like oh my gosh well if I charge this much I have to make sure I'm delivering so huge imposter syndrome Hmm. a real issue with delivering on value for money and that then has a huge impact we've talked about this before on the recommendability Hmm. of the designer on how creatively confident you feel actually on the quality of your work so it has the reverse effect but we don't see this all mm. we're seeing is, oh my gosh, what an idiot I am for not charging whatever. Mm. Mm. And I think we've mentioned before about when you extrapolate that further and everybody starts doing that, where it actually pushes the industry in the end and then it, it becomes completely unsustainable all round. Yeah. yeah, 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 it does. And it, it's it's actually really sad. I mean, don't get me wrong, we need to make sure we're charging what we're worth. We need to make sure that we have all the tools in place to manage our clients and to make those processes smooth. But the bottom line is, if we don't have the knowledge, the experience, the process in place to actually deliver excellence, Mm. all of those things are not going to solve the issue. Mm. And why do you think it is that people succumb to this income boasting sort of fear-based tactic marketing approach why do you think that that gets to us well I I know from my own experience it it triggers this anxiety this inadequacy this absolute I'm not good enough 
Mm. And this real, I mean, I've talked multiple times on this podcast about how I've been working on my website and I'm really cross with myself because (laughs) there'll be a, you know, there'll be a page where I've just not, you know, whether it's Elevate or the Resonant Brand Method or Brand Clarity, I've just not presented it as well as I could have done. And that feeling that I get of opportunity loss, isn't it? The opportunity cost that I think I've even used this phrase of leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. That's quite empowering and quite motivating to a point when it comes from within. I think it can drive you to, you know, to, to do that more and to really refine those pages. I think when it comes from someone else who tells you that I've done this, why didn't you? I think it has a very different feeling attached to it. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? And and also, what's your experience of this? Yeah, I see a lot of burnout. I see a lot of imposter syndrome. I see a lot of people losing confidence and a lot of people reducing their worth to simply the money that they make. Yes. And that's a really difficult thing in business because it does, if you're running a business, money has to be an indicator. Yeah. You know, there has, there, it, it has to be in the mix. And I am absolutely not advocating a money is the root of all evil. I think, you know, love of money, <laughs> too much love of money it might be a <laughs> bit of a problem. But for me, in, this, in the system that we're in, while we're operating in this capitalist space, let's make it work as well as we can. So money itself isn't the issue. It's the reduction of our worth to just that as a metric that is a problem for me. And because the other thing about, I think, entrepreneurship, for a lot of the entrepreneurs I work with, they have brilliant ideas. They are very, very, they're genius in in their zone of genius, in their magic, in their particular skill set. So they might be an artist or they might be a designer or they might be um, a thinker or a writer or whatever those things are, but they're not a genius marketeer. And the challenge is, I think, for a lot of particularly solopreneurs or small businesses that haven't built bigger teams is the thing they struggle with most is getting their brilliant thing out there. And so when they don't get their brilliant thing out there because they don't have the sales or the marketing skills that they, you know, from lack of experience or whatever, that then starts to infiltrate into their feeling of credibility about the thing that they actually are really good at. And those two things in my mind can be kept as two very separate business processes. I really want to maintain the integrity of people's worth and their brilliance around their craft or the thing that they do. And then maybe they do need to recognize that they need support with marketing. If they're failing at the marketing, failing is a very strong term, but if they're not getting the results they're seeing from their marketing, it doesn't mean that they're no good. Yes. That means they don't have that particular skill set. And I think that's what gets preyed upon. Well, it is that we tend to conflate what someone has achieved financially as an educator, Mm. one with credibility in that field. Actually, what it means is they're really good at selling online courses or they're really good at selling coaching programs. It doesn't necessarily mean Often it does, often it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're good at their craft. Mm-hmm. But also just because someone is making six, seven, eight, nine, ten figures in their business does not mean that when you take that program or that course or whatever, that you are going to be able to do the same unless you replicate their business model as an educator or as a a coach. And I don't think we think about that enough. So there's Mm. this sort of, if we just jump over to toxic sales tactics for a second, there's this thing of, you know, what, what the hell were you doing as an illustrator for argument's sake? You know, I've just made seven figures in the last 24 hours. What were you doing? Yeah. This speaks to me of the pressure it creates to move yourself out of your zone of magic. And that leads to burnout. So if I think of uh, a few clients or a few friends who have created something brilliant, and then they have been pulled into this, 
this is how you sell this. You you are relentless on social media. You have to create all these adverts. You have to do this huge marketing campaign. You need to blog in this way. You need to appear on several yeah. thousand podcasts, whatever it is, whatever those metrics yeah. are, that is the formula for doing this. And then in the pressure and the mad flurry of that entrepreneur having to fulfill all of those things and being surgically attached to their phone for 24-7, yeah. having to do things outside of their natural magic or their comfort zone, like writing or speaking or blogging or whatever it is, that they lose their confidence and they are they are absolutely subsumed in doing in running a business in a way that is not what they set out to run their business. That's not no. the business they wanted to create. And this is not what you wanted to spend your time doing. In the, and I think that's the other thing is that the marketing techniques and tactics needed are energy heavy. They they don't they don't lift your vitality. When Cecilina mm. and I were promoting art directing impactful photography there was no part of what we were doing in our marketing activities that made me uncomfortable, that drained me, that felt anything mm. other than celebrating and sharing yeah. what we've been up to. And I wanted our enthusiasm to be the thing that sold this course. Now that that will mean it capped what we were able to sell it for. It mm. will. But there's a vitality cost to me going in hard, going in heavy, being aggressive. There's there's a financial cost to me flooding Instagram with adverts. Hmm. And I, hmm. I think that's another thing that we don't, when we see those numbers, how many people were in that team of, hmm. you know, what did it take to get that? And actually, what is the net profit so I like to run a lean, simple, inspiring business. Mm. And I like to put excellence at the heart of that. And I know that the flip side of that is that people come back again and again and again to buy my courses and they recommend mm. them to their friends. Yeah. This will be a very individual thing. And I think it comes down to what feeds your energy and your inspiration and what drains it. Yeah. But the mm. bottom line is to get those crazy ass numbers. Yeah. What you and I have both seen yeah. firsthand is you need to use some quite strong tactics. And, you know, maybe that's my blocker that I need to heal. But I know, because we've had conversations about this, that this resetting of the landscape this resetting of the the goal has caused burnout and breakdowns with people yeah. it's pulled yeah. them off purpose at the very least it stagnates their business it makes running their business unenjoyable it makes it it actually undermines their credibility and the long-term sustainability of their business but you have had clients who have adopted this approach and have burnt out and have had breakdowns as a result, haven't you? Yeah, and thankfully they come, you know, they come and find me after that and go, I'm sure there's a better way. And and there is. And it's also, it's not easy to take the better option, well, the better in inverted commas, to take the approach that we might be suggesting because there is a cost to that as well. Mm. It's not as glamorous. It's not the instant gratification that you might get from a sellout course launch. I, we're almost tripping over ourselves here because there's we've talked about this exhaustively and there's so much we could say. <laughs> and you're really, really passionate about this. And some people listening to this might go, oh, she's just got a bee in her bonnet about this. I have got a bee in my bonnet, a big one, a hornet. Hornet in your bonnet. <laughs> so this whole topic is hot for both of us. It's a big contentious issue. I can hear both of us getting quite activated around it and almost wondering, like, what's the point we're making here? <laughs> so this is, <laughs> this is a very potentially triggering topic. Yeah. And anyone who speaks up against this income boasting culture or this hustle culture, I see this happening quite a lot. And recently with, you know, experience that you can share with us. But yeah of when we speak up against this culture, there's almost this tidal wave, this tsunami of quashing that voice, 
with yeah. this slightly, I'm sure well-intended, but potentially slightly passive-aggressive. Yes, but it might just be your money mindset, which is why you've got an issue with this. Because it's not actually wrong for us women to go after the seven figures and to rave about it and to shout about it because we're just celebrating. And that's right. And we've earned the right to do that. Yeah. So this actually is probably more about your money mindset. Mm. What do we make of that? Well, I had this exact experience, didn't I, where something that I'd taken, what something that I'd said on a podcast had been taken out of context in quite a, you know, deliberately controversial way. And, you know, like we've talked about in, in other episodes before, obviously there were sort of 20 people saying, thank goodness you said this, it needed saying, I feel so much better for hearing it. And this was basically you saying you have an issue with income boasting. I said, and and this was this was the headline on the reel. I find income boasting incredibly triggering, and I used the word triggering. And mm. so, what that did was attracted a minority of people who decided to dissect how I needed to heal my relationship with money, how I needed to own my triggers, and that that if I had a problem with the income boasting, it was my issue with my money mindset and it was like the day before the end of half term I was exhausted and I was Mm. kind of here for it for a while and then these women started having this debate about me having not listened to any of the context of the podcast just Mm. weighing in on my issues and I was like hang on a minute hang on a hot minute you don't know (laughs) anything about me and but I felt kind of bullied a bit I felt a bit unenlightened I felt a bit like yeah I got a real insight into the kind of tactics that people use to make you feel inadequate to make Mm. you feel like you need this stuff because how naive of you to be operating your business on this plane when everyone else is up here on this in my time and how do I mean how do you feel about your relationship with money well I grew, I grew up with very little so I don't doubt that there will be some issues in there I worked in I work incredibly hard to give my kids opportunities that I mm. never had and there is no question that some of my worth as a parent as a human is tied up in my profit and loss. Mm. I don't think that's that unusual for an entrepreneur. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I think quite often when I when I see discussions or I take part in discussions around money mindset, quite often what I hear people saying is the opposite and and almost the assumption that that if you have an issue with your money mindset that you don't believe that you are worth having money or mm. that there's a blocker to attracting that. That's how it's sold massively, isn't it? It's Mm. sold as your latest course didn't sell seven figures because you don't believe you're worth it. I don't think I have an issue with my money mindset when you put it like that. I have, Mm. and I'm sure we'll get onto this in pricing next week, but I have a very clear sense of my worth. I have a very clear sense you know you and I have talked about this there are things I'm not prepared to do for there's lots of things I'm not prepared to do for money (laughs) 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 but you know there's there's like a a a bar that I will not go below Mm. you know I'm just not prepared to deliver what I know the value that I know I can add so no I don't think I have an issue with my money mindset but I was tired and I did not appreciate people that didn't know anything about me Mm. telling me that I needed to heal my relationship with money the other thing I just want to pick up on that you said there was you know you were tired you're exhausted and that that's a potentially quite a vulnerable time Mm. and I think coming right back to what makes people susceptible to these messages is that quite often when we're feeling low and when things aren't going too well in business or we're not getting the sales that we want or we've just had some bad feedback or something's not worked out, 
those can be the times when we start to go, oh God, I need to do something about this. And we start to look outside and then we are absolutely ripe for that kind of influence. Yeah. And this is where, and and one of the messages, I have to say the the podcast that put that um, post out was very kind and she took it down, um, which was great. But but in the meantime, one of the messages that came in around that was um, from someone whose client had spent, well, had put £36,000 on credit cards for three mastermind groups that wow. she didn't even want or need. And this is anecdotally something I hear often, people spending money that they just don't have. You know, it's it's all very well, something popping up in your Instagram feed telling you that you failed because so-and-so has made this much money. And if you just follow the exact same steps and if you get the swipe copy, it'll work for you. Mm. Our experience, and, you know, I've run my own business for 18, 19 years. You've run your own for longer, is formulate don't work because what worked for me will by default not work for you because we're different people we have different strengths and whilst there are of course best practices and strong approaches and ways of doing things we have to go into this empowered we have to listen to what people want we need to respond in an empowered way Okay, so let's come back up to the big picture then. We both have really strong opinions on this, and that is founded on experience, on the impact that this culture has and has had on our clients. But I guess the first key piece really is that income boasting creates this culture of inadequacy and that feeling of inadequacy and that almost running on negative rather than positive energy that really drains your confidence it it puts you into this spiral and it's thoroughly unsustainable and I I think the key thing is and off air you coined this fabulous phrase it gets you on the hustle train doesn't it yeah Absolutely. And I see the fallout of people being pulled into that hustle culture all the time, you know, Mm. feeling relentlessly under pressure to sell more, to do more, to be more, to show up more, but based on someone else's expectations. And that's, that's the challenge when it's driven by us and our own vision and our own sense of purpose and our own goals and what we set out for ourselves, then it has a different quality to it. But when it's someone else's bar that we're trying to reach, it has a completely different feeling and add in the worry of the economic downturn. And it's very easy to then panic into scattergun approaches and ways of working that just aren't aligned with how we're really meant to do business in the way that's going to work best for us and our clients. Yeah. Well, do you know, you've touched on two really important things there that I want to pick up on. And the first one that actually I don't think we'd thought about when we brainstormed this. I don't know whether your experience of this is the same, but, you know, it's very easy to to see this great big number and think, well, I'm going after that. I want that. And, mm. and absolutely, you should have that if that's what you want. I think it's harder to step off that train in this hustly culture. So it's harder to say, do you know what? I tried, but I'm doing everything I can. And mm. actually I've done really well. And it might not have hit the, the crazy ass targets that I originally thought I should have hit. But, you know, actually given the climate, given the resource that I've got, given the time that I've got, I'm really happy with that. I'm going to change my goal. From certainly from what you've said and what I've seen, I think it's much harder to to do that. Would you agree? Definitely. I think it is hard for people to put a line in the sand and say, no, I am doing as much as I can and I'm happy with that, particularly if they've got noise from specific people that they've brought on board to help them turn this stuff around or just from the general bombardment of stuff that's out there in the media this is exactly why I find this hustle culture so 
triggering because mm. if we if we rewind to the pandemic, you know, I was doing all that I could for my business, for my clients, for my family, mm. plus dealing with you know, all the fallout of that. Lots of my family were frontline workers as well. And that was really scary in those first few months, wasn't it? And um, I remember, it was probably about like September, October time of 2020, starting to see these cancerous adverts coming up on Instagram, basically saying, what have you done to make 2020 your best year yet? Stop using the pandemic as an excuse. And it just epitomizes everything I loathe about this toxicity because it's kind of about saying, no, there's no compassion. There's no let up. There's no, I don't know what the word is. There's no break. You should have done this and you should have done better and you need to do better. Yeah, and also in that, and that example is a really good one of this, there's no looking, there's no taking into account the wider context and the bigger picture of what's Mm. actually happening. So these figures or these things that we're being pushed towards or this striving is in a little silo on its own and doesn't look at the holistic life of the entrepreneur. It doesn't take into account the economic climate. It doesn't, as you've said before, take into account what it takes to actually make those numbers Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't take into account any permission to go your own way and to jump off that train without potential losing status, losing face, being ridiculed. I mean, I'm not saying it's open yeah. ridicule, but there's this sort of one. But that even that insidious judging of me in that blog post, you know, mm. that kind of patronizing passive aggressive oh she poor thing she needs to sort her money mindset out and then she won't be triggered yeah you know it's it's actually sort of a bit of a bullying culture and I think that leads us on to another headline that I really want to remind ourselves of so what you don't see in these big numbers is the fallout do you so Mm. you as as a coach as a consultant you consistently see burnout breakdown, people under extreme stress if they're following those kind of programs. They tend to rely on really expensive multi-level masterminds, expensive coaching because they are flung so far out of their comfort zone that they need constant shoring up. And that's not even taking into account that sort of pulling off purpose or Mm. that stagnation that happens because you're off purpose right yeah and what I also see that it does is it it gradually takes people further and further away from their own inner sense of what is authentically right for them Mm. It, it sort of quietens that voice of discernment that enables them to make their own decisions because they've sort of handed over all the autonomy and all the agency to this other formulaic process that they lose Mm. their instinctive intuitive founders hold on their business and that can take a lot of repairing Mm. We, we can get into this scenario where we we don't trust ourselves anymore to know how to do business we've handed over all of that and and this comes back into what we were saying earlier about we know we're not maybe an expert at the marketing Uh, But that can then just that sort of insidious feeling of not good enough just seeps in at every level. So we just Mm. we lose trust in our intuition. We lose trust in our creative ideas. We can't even access those creative ideas either because we're on this continual treadmill. Yeah. In order to be creative and innovative, you need to have space. And what these intensive approaches do is is they don't give you any space. Well, I think it's the lack of space, but also that leads me on to another headline that I wanted to make around this idea that, you know, times are tough at the moment. We've, we've said, I don't, I haven't seen things as tough as this since 2007. And I know that that will change, but at the moment it's tough. And I think when things are tough, we want guaranteed success. We want surety. We're going to, we're going to put our faith and our time and our trust in the things that we feel are going to give us the best response 
And Mm. what I would really urge and encourage you to do right now is to remember that you will get the best results from listening to your clients, reflecting on what's needed right now, where the gap is, and innovating. You are not going to get the best results from swipe copy, from someone else's exact same steps, or Mm. from following a formula. Now, that's not to say that there aren't best practices that you can learn. That's not to say that it's not worth you taking a course in SEO or Pinterest marketing. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying these big promises, these big, you know, I did this much and and you can do the same. They don't tend to always come through. And I think we need to be really discerning. A red flag for me is anything that feels like a a 1980s get rich quick scheme. You know, anything that is probably is (laughs) immediate. Do this overnight, whatever it is. Mm. We know that. A sustainable business takes time and the overnight successes generally take about 10 years. <laughs> I mean, I'm not putting yeah. that time. But, yeah. And that is not to say there aren't outliers to this. There absolutely are. And I've seen some people have unexpected, phenomenal results. Mm. But I don't think it's the norm. And I think it sets a very dangerous precedent. And I don't actually want to see that as our working culture. So I've got two more headlines. And I think the first one is that business doesn't need to feel like hard work. And I really want us to hold on to this as we journey through the next six months. You don't have to be in a perpetual state of angst and anxiety and and fear and panic. Now, that does not mean that you don't need to work hard. You do need to work hard. You need to be focused. You need to put your energy in the right places. But this I, this hustle train does not have to be the norm. Would I, I know you would agree with that. Oh, absolutely. I think we absolutely have to be prepared to put in some graft, some real yeah. graft. And this will take tenacity. But I think we really need to be careful not to confuse that with the relentless striving that is the mm. road to burnout. And that was my final point. If you're in business for the long game, you need to set your business and your way of working up in a way that is not going to burn you out. I mean, how long does it take to recover from burnout in your experience? Oh, how long is a piece of string? But we're not talking weeks here. And I don't know about you, but I, if I was approaching burnout now, my entire life would fall apart because I cannot afford to take a month, two months, three months, six months, a year out of my business because no. who else is paying the mortgage if that happens? And that and that is what we're talking about. It's it's yeah. that level of recovery if you get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is one of the reasons I get so agitated around this whole thing is because it's not a sustainable way of working. It shouldn't be the norm. And there's a better way. And yes, you might not get quite as rich tomorrow, but maybe you will, because actually maybe if you look at what it takes to produce mm. those big numbers, it, it might not filter down through the profit. Yeah, and I think for me, the reason it's such a big bugbear is because I genuinely do believe as people in business, there should be this culture of inspiration and encouragement and being able to go for what you want to go for in business. And there is too much within this type of culture that leaves people feeling inadequate, of less value, doubting their worth, anxious, under pressure. And we said, you know, earlier on that that might not be the original spirit in which any of this was intended to create this, but but it has become very toxic Mm. and business should feel really inspiring. Mm, I would agree. And so that makes me think about, right, practical steps. Like how can we create create the superpowered shield that we're going to need against yeah. this stuff? How can we tackle this? So along the lines of your headlines, I've come up with a few really practical things. 
Firstly, if you're really worried about the financial state of what's going on in your business, don't go ostrich on it. You do need to look at the numbers. Mm. You do need to not avoid the fact that something might need to shift in your business or your approach. But in looking at the numbers, we need to avoid comparison and you need to be very clear and very realistic about what you want to and what you can achieve within the context of what's going on for you. And also don't fixate on the numbers. You know, this is what we were saying right at the beginning about this becoming the measure of worth. There's a lot to be said for what gets measured improves, but anyone, to shift analogies, anyone losing weight will tell you that it is bonkers to weigh yourself morning and night every day. (laughs) So we're not not fixating ourselves on the numbers to that point. As you've already said, listen to what your clients are saying, what your audience are telling you, how can you innovate? What are they asking you for? And we've talked about this before. Don't let that pull you off your magic and your purpose, but there will be some nuggets of gold in there. Mm. When, as Fee said, just a reminder, when you're making any of those changes, ask yourself, can I sustain the effort in the long term that's needed to make this work? If I'm implementing this change now, am I still going to be able to do it in three months, six months, a year's time? Is it a streamlined, seamless, easy to integrate process? And then I think practically, when you come across the adverts or you're exploring different approaches or you know maybe you do need to learn something new maybe you do need to upskill or hone your craft or whatever it is look beyond just what's being said superficially and notice your instinctive energetic response to that marketing stuff does it lift you or does it drain you does it make you feel good or does it make you feel inadequate what self-talk does it trigger in you and just be wary of anything that doesn't make you feel like you've got this Mm. we can feel it in our gut most of us if we're slow if we slow down enough to pay attention and that's the other thing when we're looking at these options don't look when you're in your most anxious state yeah because that is a recipe for disaster Mm. regulate yourself first get get some support and then start to look clearly at the options because if we're looking when we're fearful when we're triggered when we're anxious we're going to choose the wrong stuff we are very very susceptible to those really toxic marketing messages when we're in that kind of state so we need to build our emotional and our physical resilience and we probably need to prioritize this even more when we're in these times of acute stress or challenge so we need to build a stronger shit shield than usual and part of doing that is cutting out the noise as we've always said before block unfollow accounts that don't lift you up or inspire you report the adverts that are triggering particularly those that are using you think offensive tactics we just let's just get this out of our space we just don't want to see it anymore yeah and the other broader context of that and I'm sort of speaking at this is being recorded at the time when the crisis in Israel is really at its it's I mean it's horrendous what's happening yeah If you can avoid other triggering, traumatizing material, the news is full of it at the moment and it's okay not to engage 24-7. Fear builds Mm. up in the body-mind and secondary trauma is a thing that we do need to protect ourselves from, particularly if you're naturally empathetic. And those naturally empathetic, intuitive, creative people are often the people that are more susceptible to being pulled off their center. You know, Mm. they're more easily influenced. So we do need to just, just, it's okay. And you'll see a lot of controversial posts about this now. I personally feel that unless you're able to take proactive, intentional action, it's okay to look away and to process that stuff and to give yourself a break from the relentlessly triggering, traumatizing media that's all around us. And then on that note, surround yourself with a support network. People who are committed to the same sustainable people-centered approaches as you are because as you were saying earlier it's it's really hard to say no actually I'm happy with this but if you've got people around you that are going yeah great good guns like put those boundaries down and people Mm. who have genuinely your best interests at heart Mm. it's choosing your tribe and in that piece I was saying earlier about being prepared to put in some graft we need to pay attention to our nervous system more off more closely than we might have done before and the likelihood is that you might have a lower threshold for intensity than you did have previously when you're anxious so putting in some Mm. graft might look different from 
the amount or the intensity you were able to graft a year ago or two years ago or whenever business was feeling smoother. Mm. So we need more regular breaks to regenerate because you need to be in your vitality to access the creative thinking that's needed to innovate, to get you out of the hole. Mm. (laughs) So we need to create that space, space in the nervous system, space in your thinking without the pressure and the dysregulation. And then I think lastly, a general way to feel more empowered is to actually take action, to do something, however Mm. small and incremental, won't only pay off in the long term, but will increase that feeling of agency when there's so much outside of your control. And in all of this, as always, compassion is key. Yeah. We have to just... We just have to be nice to ourselves, yeah. please, and each other. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was a huge, long, spiely ramble rant. <laughs> Is there anything you need want to add to that? What an amazing list. I mean, I, I can't really add anything. I think the only thing I would add to, to kind of close from my side of things, I have said this before, and I'm sure I will keep saying it over the next six, 12 months, the way the changes that you make now around your brand around your focus around your energy around your way of working your creativity all of those things are going to leave a lasting legacy on your business so let's make it Mm. a great one what's that phrase necessity is the mother of all invention this is your time it might not be fun. It might be painful, but this is your time. And this is, you're probably not going to get stronger motivation than this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, careful what you wish for, babes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Let's make it a strong call to arms, a call to come together, a call to just block out and let's just not tolerate this other way of working anymore. We're just not going to have it. No, no. It's all about the inspiration the vitality, I just can't advocate it highly enough. Hurrah. Here's the revolution, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> vitality, inspiration, excellence. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Compassion. Compassion. That is so key. I so want to do an episode of Compassion. Anyway, until next week. (laughs) Until next time. Thanks, lovely folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe, as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.